0: I do encourage you to check out our t-shirt store at uh, t-shirt.greatdetectives.net where we have four great t-shirt designs and all four are also available as pullover hoodies if you want something really uh, comfortable for the fall. Check it out at t-shirt.greatdetectives.net. Now it is time for us to get into episodes three through five of The Fathom Five Matter. The original air dates February 29th, March the 1st, and March the 2nd of 1956.
1: From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar.
2: Barney Wilson, D.A.'s office. Oh,
1: morning, Mr. Wilson.
2: Say, you're on an expense account, aren't you? That's right. Good, I'm not. How about buying me a lunch?
3: You got a deal. 12 o'clock here at my hotel? Sold. Found any more shoes?
2: No, and no bodies. Not yet, anyway. I'm amazed. Did find one thing you may be interested in, though. What's that? We got a lead on that license number you gave me last night. You were right. The car was bought from a dealer about two weeks ago. By whom? Somebody named John Smith. Over on the east side of town. That figures. Well, maybe here's something that won't. I checked the address this morning. And you know what?
3: Sure, a vacant lot.
2: Well, now, how the devil did you know?
3: See you at lunch, Mr. Wilson.
1: Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
3: Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Miami Beach, Florida. To the home office, Delta Liability, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Fathom Five matter. A sunken cruiser that refused to give up its debt. <laughs> Item 10, $4.80. Lunch with DA Deputy Barney Wilson. A man who'd made up his mind about the case before I'd even arrived in town. Murder, he'd called it. When the hired cruiser Fathom Five burned and sank mysteriously a mile or two offshore, but nobody had been found yet, and I still doubted very much that one ever would be, because I wasn't even certain that William
2: Markey was dead. Wilson, of course, had different ideas. Yes, sir, Mr. Dollar, it's the old old story: two men go out in a boat and only one comes back. No witnesses, nothing. And if that doesn't indicate murder, I say, pass the sugar, will you please?
3: Sure, here. You're convinced it's murder, and you're convinced young Danny Haynes did it. Well, who else? Well, now, that would be a fine argument to advance in court, wouldn't it? Sure, sure. Certain conviction, simply because you can't produce any other suspect. Wilson, I don't think there's been any murder at all.
2: Now, you can pass me the sugar. All right. Suppose you let me tell you how I figure it. While I'm eating my dessert? Marky and his wife took a liking to this Haynes kid and practically made him one of the family. And right there was their mistake. It usually is. Because Haynes started getting ideas about his boss's wife. You have to admit, Mrs. Marky's is a mighty pretty woman. Who could deny it? She's Haynes' own age and her husband was older. So the kid in that bird brain of his figured he had it all tagged. Figured she actually went for him. I think he probably started bothering her, making a nuisance out of himself. And I'll lay you odd, she'll admit he did, once she's convinced he's guilty. Well, I got a sneaking hunch you may be right on that. Oh, thank you, thank you. So what happened? Marky finally noticed the kid was getting a little out of line. Probably didn't even take it seriously at first, but eventually he must have decided he'd better get Haines straightened out. So, he took him out on that fishing boat in order to talk to him alone, is that it? Mm-hmm. Now you're with a dollar. But the thing backfired. Haynes probably got mad. Maybe started a fight, knocked Markey out, and that gave him his big idea. Spur of the moment, huh? Yes, sir. Now, with the boss out of the way, he'd have a clear field with the widow. So he threw Markey overboard, set fire to the cruiser, opened the sea cock so it would be sure and sink, and then rowed away in the dinghy. And how could he be
3: sure the body wouldn't
2: be found, washed ashore by the currents? Oh, he couldn't be sure. But what if it was? There was a heavy fog. Nobody saw what happened. He Knew it would be mighty tough to prove anything on him. Oh, brother, that's an understatement. As a matter of fact, it'll be impossible
3: to prove that story. Yeah,
2: well, once he's arrested and interrogated, I figure he'll break down and tell us the whole thing.
3: Not unless he's completely simple-minded. Now, you haven't even got the shadow of a case, Mr. Wilson. All you've got is a wild theory that doesn't even
2: fit the facts. You got a better theory, I suppose. I think so. And would it be the kind that would take your company off the hook on that $75,000 life insurance policy? Well,
3: by coincidence, it just so happens that it would. In fact, that insurance policy is the key to the whole thing. Uh Uh-huh. I sort of thought you might say that. I didn't have any pet theory at first, but I do now. I'm pretty sure this thing is an out-and-out insurance fraud, and Danny Haynes is being used as the fall guy. Oh, do tell... And what are you finding for evidence, Mr. Darling? Oh, a lot of little things that are sort of starting to add up. For one thing, I got a long telegram this morning from a firm of confidential investigators in New York. I forwarded a request through Hartford yesterday. And they turned up quite a lot on Markey. Such as? His financial status for the main thing. Well, go on. Well, when he and Mrs. Markey were married three years ago, the firm was in first-class shape. But they've been living high, living up his capital. If he got that contract he came down here after, it. well, it might have pulled him through, but he didn't get it. And as a result, he was flat broke.
2: So what? A lot of people are broke.
3: But not many of them have a $75,000 policy. Uh, I thought that's what you were getting at. What I am getting at is what I think happened. And I think Danny Haynes is telling the truth. I think Marky did send him off alone in that dinghy. Then Marky fired the boat, opened the seacocks, and while she filled up and sank, he swam ashore in the fog. And he's waiting it out somewhere now until his widow collects the insurance.
2: Well, I don't see where you've got any more evidence than I have.
3: Well, there's not much I'll grant you. Not so far. But what there is adds up. I guess I'm just stupid, Dollar. Right, I look. Take Mrs. Markey's attitude, for instance. She's trying hard to play the role, but it doesn't come off. And does she act to you like a four-day widow? Well, she's got a lot of self-control. Well, I'll say she has. I tried to go to her yesterday when I talked to her, came right out and practically insulted her. And how did she react? Never took her eyes off that main chance, the 75,000.
2: Well, you know, it's not exactly unheard of for a widow not to mind too much being a widow. Oh, no, no, that's not the impression
3: she gives. She's tense enough, nervous as a cat. But it's not because of grief or any feeling of relief either. It's because she's afraid she might say the wrong thing and let her foot slip.
2: Well... Everybody's got a right to their own opinion.
3: Another thing is that Marky's body hasn't turned up. Now, I talked to the harbor master this morning. He knows the currents along this coast backwards and forwards. He says it's the only one chance in a hundred that Marky's body would have been carried out through the reef instead of thrown up on the beach about where you found that shoe.
2: So, this is the one time in a hundred. That was a mighty fine lunch, Mr. Dollar.
3: We're going to fight you, Mr. Wilson, if you petition the court to declare Marky legally dead.
2: Yes, I sort of figured you would. Hensley and Davis phoned me this morning and said you'd retain them as counsel. That's right. Well, I've been fought before.
3: Expense account item 11, 10 cents. Phone call to Edna Markey, widow of the allegedly deceased and beneficiary of his insurance policy. Hello? Mrs. Markey? Yes? This is Johnny Dollar.
4: Oh. Oh, I didn't recognize your voice.
3: I wonder if I could ask a favor of you.
4: Well, if it's something I can
3: I'd like to borrow a photograph of your late husband for a few hours. Well? I'll take good care of it, make sure it gets back to you.
4: Well, the fact is, I really don't have one.
3: Oh, well, uh, you must have forgotten. I I noticed one yesterday afternoon on the mantel in your study.
4: Well, I I meant not a good one.
3: Well, that one will do fine, and thanks a lot.
4: Uh, Has uh, something new come up, Mr. Dollar?
3: Yes, you might say that. I'll send a messenger out to pick it up. Goodbye, Mrs. (coughs) Marquis. Item 12, $3.80, messenger service. Item 13, $1.90, taxi fare to the used car lot of one truthful Tom, the dealer who'd sold a car to a man named John Smith, a car that had departed suddenly from the vicinity of the Markey Beach House when its driver saw me come out of the house. I wasn't too sure whether Tom was truthful or not, but one thing was certain, he was typical.
5: I notice you looking at that little gray job, friend, and I say to myself, truthful, Tom, don't you go trying to get the best of that lad, because he's walked right in here and spotted the best doggone buy on the lot before he's even turned around. Well,
3: I, I wasn't really thinking of buying. It.
5: Friend, with the price I'll make you on that car, you can't afford not to buy it. No,
3: no, I'm not really in the market.
5: It's an economic society, friend. We're all in the market when the price is right.
3: No, I just happened to notice that it looked
5: like the car a friend of mine had stolen a few weeks My ago. My dear friend, I'll make you... Um. Uh, Did you say stolen? Oh,
3: it may not be the same one, of
5: course. I've got papers on that car. I've got papers on every last car on this lot. Did you have
3: papers on the one you sold to John Smith two weeks ago?
5: If he says I didn't, he's a liar. Now, wait
3: a minute, mister. And I
5: can get a dozen witnesses to prove it. You
3: remember them, then? Well, do you? Remember who? Look, I'm a special investigator for the Delta Liability.
5: It's a frame-up, that's all it is. Whoever it is says they got a hot car deal on this lot is lying. Truthful, Tom never turned a dishonest penny in his whole doggone life.
3: Good, then we'll forget it.
5: And any low-down rat that says I did a two-legged snake, and I... What'd you say? I don't care anything about your deals. I'm trying to locate a fellow who bought a car from you. Well, friend, uh, that puts a different light on it. Uh, John Smith, you said? That's the name he used. I can't say I recollect anybody by that name. Here's a copy of the title registry on the car. Now, let's see now. Six, eight, four, two, dark green... Oh, that was that old clunker that... uh, Of course, it was well worth the price, I was asking. Do you remember the buyer? You bet your life. You know why? Because he paid cash. Not a check. Cash. I mean, the real long green Missoula. Would you recognize a photograph of him? Well, I might if... Oh, is this it? Well, let's see now. Well? No doubt of it, friend. That's the lad, all right.
3: Good evening, Mrs. Markey. Mr. Dollar. I brought back the photograph of your husband.
4: Oh, there wasn't that much hurry about it. Did it help any?
3: Quite a bit. Do you mind if I come in?
4: Well, all right, of course. Thank you. You know, I've been trying to think all day long what you could possibly want with that picture. I still can't imagine. You can't, huh? Sit down, Mr. Dollar.
3: Thanks. It's
4: a terrible picture, of course. That's why I hesitated about giving it to you. It doesn't look a thing like him.
3: It looked enough like him, Mrs. Markey.
4: Enough like him? I don't think I know what you mean.
3: Did you know your husband bought a second-hand car the week before his so-called death?
4: You must be mistaken. He'd have told me about it.
3: The car dealer positively identifies his photograph. He used the name John Smith, paid for it in cash.
4: What did you mean, so-called death?
3: William Markey isn't dead. I think we're both aware of that. Well, Mrs. Markey, aren't we...
4: Do you mind telling me what you're talking about?
3: It wasn't even a very smart scheme to start with. Your husband must have been really up against the wall, or he'd have known better than to try it. But I suppose he thought he had to in order to hang on to you. I imagine you're pretty expensive to support.
4: I think you'd better leave right now.
3: Actually, it would serve you both right if I did. But I decided to give you a chance. I came here to let you know exactly where you stand.
4: And where is that, if I may ask?
3: One step away from prison, take that step, and you're in up to your necks. you and your husband both.
4: What step?
3: So far, we have no case against you for attempted fraud because you haven't filed a claim yet. But take my advice, Mrs. Markey, don't file one. Because the minute you do, we're going to hit you with both barrels.
4: You've got some pretty crazy ideas, haven't you? You've
3: had fair warning.
4: I've had one of the biggest bluffs I've ever heard about. Why, you people would do anything, wouldn't you, to keep from paying off on a policy?
3: Better talk it over with your husband before you do anything foolish. My
4: husband is dead, Mr. Dollar. No one but you even doubts it. I'm a cynic. How much proof does it take to bring you to your senses, Mrs.
3: Markey, as this case stands right now, there's only one way you could convince me that William Markey is not alive. Show me his dead body.
4: Johnny Dollar? Yes, just a moment. It's for you, Mr. Dollar.
2: Thanks. Johnny Dollar. Barney Wilson here. Your hotel told me where to locate you.
3: I'd rather you located that car.
2: All the police agencies in the state have the license number and description. It'll turn up.
3: Well, the sooner the better. It'll take more
2: than a car to prove William Mark is still alive. The dealer who
3: sold it to him identified his photograph.
2: All right, but he bought the car two weeks ago. We know he was alive at that time. In case you've forgotten, Mr. Dollar, the Fathom Five sank only four days ago. That's when Markey was murdered. Okay,
3: okay. We're not gonna settle it by arguing.
2: That's why I phoned. It's gonna be settled tomorrow morning.
3: You've petitioned for a hearing?
2: Ten o'clock in Judge Campbell Chambers. You're
3: making a mistake.
2: See you in court, Mr. Dollar. <laughs>
3: From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Miami Beach, to the Home Office, Delta Liability, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment? The Fathom Five matter. The case of a cruiser mysteriously sunk off the Florida coast. I phoned the insurance company's legal counsel and told him that Wilson had petitioned a hearing to have William Markey declared legally dead. Then I rejoined Mrs. Markey in the study. She was tense and on edge, pacing the floor and smoking nervously. I watched her a moment without saying anything, fully aware of her beauty and appeal, and fully convinced also that she and her missing husband were trying to swindle my company out of $75,000 in life insurance. I felt a little sorry for Marky. She must have been a pretty expensive luxury for a man who was going broke. But then I stopped feeling sorry. I remembered that they'd tried to set up young Danny Haynes as the fall guy for murder.
4: Well... Why don't you go ahead and say it? Say what? Whatever it is you're thinking.
3: I thought I'd already said it, and pretty bluntly, too.
4: You made some wild accusations.
3: Not so wild. I've got some fairly solid facts to back them up.
4: Apparently the DA's office doesn't agree with you. Wasn't that Mr. Wilson on the phone? That's right. And didn't he say he would ask the court to declare my husband legally dead? He's
3: going to try to, but we'll stop him cold he hasn't got a leg to stand
4: on. Well, that's what you're hired for, isn't it? To find some technicalities so they can get out of paying off on a policy.
3: Attempted fraud isn't exactly a technicality, Mrs. Markey. I'll repeat that advice I just gave you. Get in touch with your husband, tell him the scheme is off, it won't work. And don't file a claim for that life insurance.
4: You'd like that, wouldn't you? You'd just love to bluff me out of $75,000.
3: No, no, I just kind of hate to see you go to prison, that's all. And that's exactly what is going to happen if you file that claim.
4: You keep talking about some scheme. What scheme, Mr. Dollar?
3: You want it laid right on the line, huh? I'd just
4: like to know what you're talking about.
3: And just how much I've figured out. All right. All right, I'll paint it for you in black and white. Your husband was broke, flat broke. I'm not guessing there. I got a report on him from a financial investigator in New York.
4: I knew nothing about his business affairs.
3: That I wouldn't know. Anyway, he thought he saw a chance to pull off a swindle on the basis of the only thing he had left, that $75,000 life insurance policy. So the two of you worked it out together.
4: Did your financial investigator tell you that? Or would you be guessing?
3: Your husband bought a car under an assumed name... and probably rented living quarters somewhere in the area under another assumed name. So it was all set. It was just a matter of waiting for a morning when a heavy fog was down.
4: (laughs) You have a fantastic imagination.
3: Meantime, just in case the accident theory didn't go over... you kept playing young Haynes along so it would seem as though he had a motive for murder. And that part was a cinch. He was already halfway in love with you.
4: You also have a rather nasty imagination.
3: So finally, four days ago, conditions were just right. Your husband took Haynes out on that fishing trip in the Fathom Five. He anchored the cruiser and sent Haynes off along the reef in the dinghy. Then he set fire to the boat, opened the seacock so it would be sure to sink. He swam ashore and drove off in the car that he'd bought for exactly that purpose.
4: As I understand it, Mr. Dollar, that cruiser was anchored a mile or two offshore. Are you actually suggesting my husband swam that distance?
3: You mean that's something else you supposedly didn't know about? What? Oh, that report from New York was more complete than you seem to realize. William Markey has been a member of the Greenpoint Athletic Club for years. He won silver cups in the Long Island Sound Marathon swim three different times.
4: (laughs) I knew he belonged to the club, of course, but I assumed it was more social. Of course he
3: could swim that far. That particular talent was probably what gave him the idea for the whole thing.
4: There's no proof, you know. Not one bit of real proof.
3: There will be, if you try to collect that insurance... We'll turn up enough proof to reach all the way from here to the state prison, so if you try to... Will
4: you excuse me, please? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back.
3: I lit a cigarette and waited for her, wondering why I even bothered to come here. I was fed up with it, sick of the whole thing. Fraud cases are like that, messy and dirty. You see people with a mask down and you get a look inside. And you get to wondering if everybody's like that. Wondering if you'd be like that yourself, maybe, if the price were right. And if you are, you hope you never find it out. All I wanted at the moment was to leave the house, wind the thing up, and get out of town.
4: I'm sorry, Mr. Dollar. It was somebody looking for an address. I mean, they had a wrong address. I see. Well, I think we at least understand each other now.
3: Yeah, I'm sure we do.
4: And I can say only one thing you're wrong. You're completely and absolutely wrong. Maybe. I wish you weren't. I wish my husband were still alive, even under the circumstances you believe. Maybe I wouldn't be on the verge of a nervous breakdown, trying to hold on to my sanity. Maybe I wouldn't be crying alone at night.
3: You have my deepest sympathy, Mrs. Markey, for everything you're going through.
4: There's no use at all in trying to talk to you, is there?
3: Not unless you care to tell me where to find your husband.
4: Good night, Mr. Dollar.
3: I left the house and turned down the dark road toward the Pompano Beach Hotel. I'd planned to pick up a taxi there, but after that unknown visitor came to Mrs. Markey's door, I'd made a slight change in the plans. Whoever it was hadn't been a stranger, that I was sure of. She'd been too nervous when she came back into the room. It was someone she hadn't wanted me to know about. And I was pretty certain I could guess who.
6: Evening, Mr. Haynes. What? Oh, you're Mr. Dollar, the insurance investigator. Mind if I come in? Well, um, all right, Sure.
3: You, uh, weren't asleep, were you?
6: No, I was, uh, I was just reading.
3: Been here all evening?
6: Yeah, sure I've been here. Why?
3: You haven't been out in the last half hour? I said I'd been here all evening. You weren't down the road at the marquee
6: place a few minutes ago? No, I wasn't. Now, look, I've answered just about all the questions I'm going to, to you or to anybody else. So what are you trying to get at? What's the point?
3: All right, forget it, Danny.
6: Sure, forget it. It looks like you're out to try the same thing Wilson's doing. Trying to tag me on a murder rap. And you're trying to drag Edna into it, Mrs. Markey. Oh, she told me how you talked to her last night. And I suppose you've been over there again this evening. Oh, relax, Danny. I'll tell you one thing right now. You better leave her alone and stop trying to push her around. She doesn't deserve it. She's had too much of that kind of stuff as it is. Oh? From whom, Danny? From Markey. That's from whom. She tell you that? I suppose you'll claim she's lying. You think everybody is lying but you don't know her like I do. She's a sweet kid, Dollar, and she's had a raw deal out of life. Such as? Marky. The way he treated her, things he made her do. Oh, not when anybody would see it, pin it on him. He was too smart for that. But she told me about it, and there were plenty of times I could hardly keep from smashing him in the face. Oh,
3: brother, she's got you really set up
6: good. What do you mean by that?
3: If you talked this way to Wilson at the DA's office
6: for two minutes, he'd slap a murder indictment on you so fast it'd make your head swim. I didn't kill Marky. Hating a guy is one thing, but I didn't kill him.
3: Yeah, I know, I know. Because he's still alive. Well,
6: maybe he is. I don't know. All I know is what I saw out there that morning.
3: And you saw only as much as he wanted you to see.
6: Well, maybe so. But I'll tell you one thing. If he is trying to pull something crooked, he's doing it on his own. She's not in on it.
3: It'd be a little hard for him to collect his own insurance, wouldn't it?
6: Hmm. Maybe he figured to get it away from her afterward. I don't know what he might be planning on, but I know she's got nothing to do with it. She's a great girl. I've never known anybody like her before.
3: No, I don't imagine you have.
6: I'd lay down my life for her if it ever came to that.
3: And I imagine that's exactly
6: what they were counting
3: on. Good night, Danny. Expense account item 16, $1.90, taxi fare the following morning from my hotel to the courthouse. I got there at 9.30 and went over the case with Jim Davis, local counsel for the insurance company. And at 10 o'clock, the hearing on Wilson's petition was opened in chamber session, Judge A.G. Campbell presiding. Judge Campbell kept the proceedings informal and the whole thing moved pretty fast. Both sides presented briefs and additional evidence was introduced through verbal interrogation. No witnesses were called. By 10.30, the cases for both sides had been completed.
7: Very well. There is no further evidence of fact or rebuttal. The court will make its decision on the evidence at hand. Now, in cases of this nature, where it is requested that the fact of death be established by legal declaration, it has been generally held that the substantiating evidence for said request must be essentially unchallengeable. The precedents in law are too numerous to bother citing... Now, in the case we are considering here, it seems to the court that the substantiating evidence is far from unchallengeable. In point of fact, it would seem that the bulk of the evidence indicates that William Markey may indeed be still alive. Now, the court would be powerless to act even in the face of a reasonable doubt. And the contrary evidence here is a good deal stronger than a reasonable doubt. Therefore, in the matter of the request made herein that William Markey be declared legally dead, it is the court's decision that the petition not be granted. If new evidence becomes available at some future time, the petition may be resubmitted. The court is adjourned.
2: Well, looks like you won, Mr. Dollar.
3: I told you what would happen.
2: I sure do hate to see that kid get away with murder. Oh, forget it.
3: Marky is walking around somewhere, just as alive as you or I.
2: Well, we've all got to write our opinions, Mr. Dollar. I see. He's floating around out there in the Atlantic somewhere.
7: That's what he meant for us to think.
2: Maybe so, but I...
7: Pardon me, Mr. Wilson. A message was phoned in for you, but they wouldn't let me in the courtroom.
2: Oh, thank you, old man. Excuse me, Mr. Dollar? Sure.
7: Go ahead and read it.
2: Minute I step out of that office, somebody's bound to start calling... Well, well. What's the matter? Mr. Dollar, the Coast Patrol hauled a man's body out of the surf about an hour ago. Been drowned. So? They got a quick check on his prints. It's William Markey. (laughs) Dollar, Barney Wilson here.
3: All right, Mr. Wilson, I'm braced. Rub it in.
2: Well, you were a little
3: overconfident. Overconfident? Let's face it, I made a jerk of myself. After I apologized to you, I've got to crawl out there and apologize to Mrs. Markey. Uh,
2: I wouldn't be too hasty about it.
3: I've been putting it off for the last two hours. After the way I talked to her, I'd rather walk into a cage of lions and face her again. But I thought her husband was alive, and I thought she knew it. Then your boys have to go and pull his body out of the surf.
2: Uh, Well, that's why I called. I
3: had a tag for an out-and-out insurance fraud.
2: Mr. Dollar, the way it looks right now, I don't know what it is.
3: It was probably murder. What else?
2: Look, if you want to lose your mind, you come on over here to the morgue.
3: Why? What do you mean?
2: Mr. Dollar, I've been a detective for 20 years, but I've never hit one before that was as crazy as this.
3: From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Miami Beach, to the Home Office Delta Liability, Hartford, Connecticut, assignment: the Fathom Five matter. It happened to involve a seventy-five thousand insurance policy. <laughs> Item seventeen: a dollar and sixty cents taxi from my hotel to the county morgue. I couldn't figure what Wilson meant when the cruiser Fathom Five burned and sank, and William Markey's body wasn't found. I thought I'd spotted an attempted insurance swindle. I'd even warned Mrs. Markey not to try to file a claim. And then, a few hours ago, Markey's drowned body had been washed up on the beach. Wilson should be happy. He'd been proven right. But instead, he'd sounded more mixed up and uncertain than he'd been before.
2: Good morning, Mr. Dollar.
3: You know, you don't pick the pleasantest places in the world to hold conferences.
2: I thought you might want to take a look at him. Though I'll be eternally blasted if I know what anybody could tell by looking. Well, there's the lad who's given us all the trouble, Mr. Dollar. William Markey, number
3: 423. (laughs) I never thought I'd see him here. I told Mrs. Markey that the only thing that would convince me he wasn't alive would be to see his body. All right, I'm convinced. And I'll never try to outguess an ocean current again. Everything seemed to add up to... Oh, now, wait a minute.
2: I wondered how long it'd be before you noticed. Doesn't make sense. Like I said on the phone, this one is crazy. This was pulled out of the surf this morning? right.
3: And the cruiser sank five days ago. That's when Marky supposedly drowned. You're on the
2: beam, Mr. Dollar. This body hasn't been in the ocean for five days. You win the four-day trip to Bermuda in a complete new wardrobe. Have you had an autopsy? Doc Morgan just finished it 20 minutes ago. That's why I called you. Doc wouldn't stick around himself. No, I think he went out to get drunk.
3: How long does he think Marky has been dead?
2: Not over 18 hours since sometime last night. Looks like we were both right. For whatever good it is, he was alive after the sinking, just like you claimed, and now he's dead, just like I claimed. What was the cause of death? Drowning. Only you haven't heard the real crazy part yet. Why? What do you mean? You remember we found one of his shoes washed in a couple of days ago? Yeah. The body was wearing two shoes when they pulled it out. They always make one slip, don't they? Uh, a couple in this case. Huh? It's the second one that nearly pushed Doc Morgan off his rocket. What second one? Markey was drowned, all right, but not in ocean. Huh? It was fresh water in his lungs, not seawater. Was Morgan sure? Swore by it and then at it.
3: That's what threw him. Yeah, I imagine. When you get an 18-hour test on a man who's supposed to have been dead for five days and find fresh water when it ought to be salt. Well. Wow. I guess the late Mr. Markey can't tell us much of anything else. So, where do we go from here, Mr. Dollar? Good question. You haven't found the car yet, huh? The one Marky bought under an assumed name? No, no,
2: but I gave the boys an extra pride to bear down on it. Half the town force is out looking for it now. I wonder
3: where he was hiding out for those four days.
2: What I want to know is who killed him and how and why. Oh, the why is fairly easy. It's the who
3: and how that carry the question marks. That fingerprint ID was certain, huh? There's not the slightest doubt of what this is, will you, Markie? Oh, you're looking for an easy way out, Mr. Dollar. Yeah, I guess I am at that. Well, then it looks like our number one is the lad you've been after all along.
2: Young Danny Haynes, huh?
3: What do you say we go and have a talk with him? Only one thing was wrong with the idea. It didn't work. Haynes wasn't in, and the clerk at his hotel said he hadn't seen him all day. The night clerk admitted that he'd slept through most of his shift and wasn't sure of anything. We searched Haynes' room and found nothing. So for the moment, we left it at that. Wilson put a out in the hotel and went back to his office. I went to my hotel and waited. Johnny Dollar.
2: Barney Wilson.
3: Yeah, what's up? We
2: finally got a break. The boys found that car. Where? Parked at the curb out on the east side of town may have been abandoned there, or it may be where Marky was hiding out. It's in front of an apartment house.
3: Have they checked through it yet?
2: No, they haven't touched it. I'm leaving to go out there now. Want me to swing by and pick you up? If you
3: don't, I'll sue you. I'll meet you out in front of the hotel. We stopped a block away and walked up to the apartment house. The car was still parked at the curb, and the plainclothes man watching it said no one had been near it. We went on inside and found the landlady, identified ourselves, and started questioning her. Luck seems to still be with us.
8: Well, you see, most of my guests are permanent, as you might say. Or at least as permanent as renters ever are.
3: Yes, we understand.
8: In fact, the only unit I've let in the last two months is number 14. That's up one flight with a pull-down bed. When did
2: you rent that one?
8: Well, let's see now. I think it was, um... About ten days ago. He paid a month's rent in advance. He? A
3: what was his name?
8: A Mr. Jones, Jones, a very nice, quiet, middle-aged fellow.
2: Lived by himself?
8: Oh, yes, and never went out much. After he moved in, that is. He didn't stay here for the first four or five days after he rented it. Until the
3: night the fathom five sank. When did you see Mr. Jones last?
8: Well, it's a funny thing. He went out yesterday evening, and he didn't come back at all. What kind of
3: a car did he drive?
8: Oh, well, good heavens, I don't know. But you can look for yourself. It's parked out there at the curb. A friend of his brought it by a while ago.
3: What? What's the friend's name?
8: Why, I didn't ask him. He's an awful nice young fella. He said Mr. Jones was going on a trip and sent him to pick up his belongings. And he had Mr. Jones's key, so I decided it was all right. He's up there packing now.
2: 12,
3: 13... It's the next door down there. Better take it easy. It's hard to tell what
2: to expect. Right. He's in there, all right. Try the knob. Easy. It's locked.
3: And there isn't much choice.
2: Who is it? Open up, Haynes. We want to talk to you. I said open up.
6: Get away from that door. Watch it, Wilson. I'm warning you. Don't try to come in.
2: Well, we know now what to expect. I'll cover the door here, Dollar. You go down and tell Dave to cover the outside windows and call in for a couple of squad cars. Right. Hey, he's going out that window. There must be a fire escape. Come on. Let's hit the door.
3: There he is at the bottom of the fire escape.
5: Hold it, Haynes.
3: Stay back. All right,
2: Haynes. It's up to you. Show down that gun or I'll drop you. I'm sorry, kid. He's down. Yeah. That second shot was dead center. I know. I tried to hold low on him, but it jumped up on me.
3: Well, he said he'd die for her if it came to that. It came to that. It was after dark when Wilson and I drove out to the Markey Beach House. There were no lights on and nobody answered the doorbell. So Wilson forced entrance and we shook the place down. We found evidence of a struggle in the study and in the bathroom. Water from the bathtub had overflowed behind the tile and was still seeping out along the baseboard. We found a dressing gown of Mrs. Markey stuffed in the back of a closet, soaking wet. Piece by piece, Wilson collected his evidence, and the picture became more and more clear. He phoned in for a fingerprint crew and went on working. I left him there and went back into town to my hotel and took the elevator up to my room. What are you doing here?
4: Waiting for you. They've got extras out. They say the police shot Danny Haynes. I thought maybe you could tell me what it's all about.
3: Sure. And what you mostly want to know is how much he talked before he died. Isn't that it, Mrs. Markey?
4: I don't know what you mean.
3: Then go on out to your house and ask Wilson. He's out there with a the fingerprint crew. And I imagine he can tell you anything you want to know by now. I, don't... I slipped up last night. I thought it was Haynes who came to your door, but it wasn't. It was your husband, and you told him to come back later. Then when I left, you called Haynes and had him come over.
4: If he said that, he lied.
3: I even gave you the idea for it myself, when I said the only thing that could convince me your husband wasn't alive would be to see his dead body. So you talked Haynes into helping you provide the evidence I said I'd have to have.
4: My husband's body was found in the ocean. They told me that this evening.
3: Yeah, but he didn't die there. He was drowned in the bathtub at your house, and you and Haynes did it.
4: You're out of your mind. Danny Haynes was lying. Then
3: go tell Wilson. It's his job now, not mine. Maybe you'll be able to convince him, but I doubt it. And I'm pretty sure you won't be able to convince a jury.
4: You think not. I'll get the best lawyer money can buy. Yeah,
3: you do that, Mrs. Markey, but don't plan on using any of that insurance money for it. Why not? Because there won't be any. That policy was already void when you and Haynes killed your husband last night. An attempted fraud cancels a policy the minute it's committed. In other words, Mrs. Markey, five days ago, when your husband sank the Fathom Five and tried to play dead. I don't believe it. You've lost out all the way around, Mrs. Markey. Your husband, your boyfriend, your insurance claim. And now you stand a pretty good chance of losing your life. A four-time loser. That's really a record. Mm -hmm. Expense account, item 18, $321.60. Hotel and incidentals in Miami and transportation back to Hartford. Expense account total, $684.95. End of account, end of report. Remarks? You quoted a line of Shakespeare at the start of this case, Ralph. Full fathom five, thy father lies. Well, you're wrong. It turns out to be the widow who lies. And lies and lies. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
1: Remember, there'll be another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, beginning next Monday night. Next week. Well, if I'd minded my own business, I wouldn't have heard the girl beg for help.
3: And from that point on, I needed help. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
1: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by Les Crutchfield. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Mary Jane Croft, Barney Phillips, Carlton Young, Eleanor Audley, Sam Edwards, Shep Menken, and John Daner. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking.
0: Welcome back. Well, another solid serial. I will say that Barney's We Were Both Right is some of the biggest face-saving nonsense I've heard. It's not unbelievable, but, yeah, it's like, no, you were never actually right. Because when you were having all of those discussions with Johnny and certifying that Marky had been murdered, he was very much alive. You were not even a little right. The fact that he was subsequently killed doesn't make you retroactively correct. I mean, he'd have to die eventually, so, you know, if he'd been found and died five years later, you'd go, well, we were both a little right. No, no. That's the type of thing, you, you know, you let people get away with. So you can have good business relations and get through things. There is a sense that they were both wrong and that they were both very set. And I think in some ways, Barney's insistence that it was this one way and that uh, Johnny's focus was just in finding a way that the insurance company didn't have to pay may have driven Johnny's stubbornness, but... They both got a little bit ahead of the evidence. So there's a sense that they were both wrong, but no sense in which Barney was right. Other than that, uh, some really great stuff in here. I loved how Johnny got the car dealer out of salesman mode so that he could actually get to the point of his visit. And that little extra human moment, when he was reflecting about why insurance fraud bothered him and the way that people acted while it was going on. Uh, Because insurance fraud's not something that typically bothers most of us or that we think about, but you can imagine confronting it firsthand, the sort of level of dishonesty that you have to try to perpetrate to pull it off is kind of revolting when you think about it. And I love the way the wife is handled. I wasn't even sure till the final part whether she was supposed to be telling the truth or not, which really is a a good performance by Mary Jane Croft. Also love John Daner as the judge. Uh, He has just such... An authoritative voice, he's perfect for a role like playing a judge. And I guess it was for good reason that the one original radio detective show that he auditioned to do was a series in which he played a retired judge who solved crimes. Of course, he did also play uh, Peter Black on Pursuit, but that was taking over for the original actor who played the role, Ted DeCorsia. I also liked the solution, where it was the clever criminals who messed up. And, of course, this idea of the wrong type of water being where the body was planted would become this uh, recurring source of solution in several different detective programs. I can remember a couple of different episodes of Columbo that relied on something similar. And it wasn't just the difference between fresh water and salt water. Columbo had variations where water was chlorinated or not, or water had soap in it. These sort of... Differences are the type of things that could really trip up a clever criminal who just might not consider them. So, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, I do question, uh, given the source of the name, who would name their boat the Fathom Five? I'm not a superstitious person as a rule. Uh, Don't misunderstand me, but if you were to invite me on your boat, the Fathom Five, I think I would be very reluctant to take you up on that. Now it is time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And while it is the first Friday in July, we don't have anyone who has been supporting the podcast for five years this month. So today I want to thank our Patreon supporter of the day, who is Pete. Pete has been one of our Patreon supporters since November. Currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Pete. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you are listening to this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, mark the notification bell, and leave any comments you have, all those great things that help the channel to grow. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, returns a week from Tuesday. And next Friday, be sure to listen for a special Encore presentation. But join us back here tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where...
9: Yes? I'm Ranger Pearson. And this is Ranger Morgan. How do you do? Howdy. Have a chair, Doctor. Thank you very much. We sent for you, Dr. Schiller, because a woman we think you must know was found murdered yesterday.
10: How shocking. Uh, Who is it?
9: We don't know. But your name and telephone number were scribbled on a market slip found in her purse. It's oh, even worse, isn't it? Have you ever seen this purse before, Doctor?
10: Mm, no, I don't recall that I have. Mm, here's the market slip. May I see it, please? Sure. Extraordinary. Yes, it is my number, gentlemen. Do you recognize the handwriting? No, sir, I do not. Are, Are you practicing in Corpus Christi, Doctor? Oh, no. I wish that I could practice here, but you see, I've come to America on a quota, just recently. I'm not yet a citizen. How long have you been here? I left Vienna six months ago. Are you an M.D.? Uh, yes, for many years. You see, I was in psychologie cliniche. I'm not much of a linguist, doctor. Would you, uh... Excuse me. Clinical psychology. I was with Dr. Jung at Zurich. I see.
9: Doctor, do you have any idea how your number got into the dead woman's purse? None whatsoever. How could I, when I have no idea to whom this purse belongs? I think perhaps you'd better take a look at the body. You might recognize the woman and be able to tell us something. It is possible. You come into the next room with us, Doctor? Very well. Some decomposition has set in, of course, but the features are still recognizable.
10: There's a body on that slab. She must have been frightened when she died. Judging from the muscle tension. Yes. Well, Doctor, I'm quite positive, Ranger Pearson, that I have never seen this woman before this moment.
0: I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, Instagram.com slash